Back in 2012, I started a seminar series. I call it seminars. I sometimes call it special events called In the Studio with MJ, In the Studio with Michael Jackson. I had spent roughly 18, 19 years of my life uh, kind of in and around the Michael Jackson camp, starting back on Captain EO and project after project, album after album, until about 2003, something like that, 2003, 2004. In 2012, I started uh, sharing some of those stories. I, I started an event called In the Studio with MJ, In the Studio with Michael Jackson. And I would book a recording studio or a recording school, and we would bring guests in so they could experience what it was like when we recorded those albums, uh, especially Bad, Dangerous, and History. And I take people through it song by song, just bring out certain highlights about, about those projects. And then people are just curious about Michael Jackson. In the process of doing that, I found myself quite often in recording schools. And one thing led to another, and we started offering a couple different lectures in the schools. One of them is called uh, Studio Etiquette on a Michael Jackson Session. And so I've presented that lecture uh, at Abbey Road in London, as well as Abbey Road in Paris, and then SAE recording schools uh, all through Europe um, and through a lot of North America. And uh, it's, it's a pretty popular little course. People seem to enjoy it. Um, just something as simple as how to act in recording studio. I thought, we're all kind of on lockdown. COVID just rages on. I haven't taught a class or given a lecture in nearly a year. So I thought I might do a bit of a hybrid um, on this one. Uh, I'm not going to actually teach the class, but I want to kind of give you some of the highlights of uh, how to act in a recording studio or studio etiquette on a Michael Jackson session. My name is Brad Sundberg, and this is In the Studio, the podcast. So I don't remember when I first uh, came up with this class, but I've presented it many times from Madrid to Russia to uh, the UK and, of course, in the US. And so I thought maybe you might uh, might be able to glean something from it. The funny thing is, um, with some of the ideas that I'm going to present, <laughs> they're really applicable to uh, other areas of life beyond recording studios. And for some of you, you're going to hear some of these and just roll your eyes and say, you've got to be kidding me um, that people don't know how to do that. But let me let you on a little secret. <laughs> a lot of people don't know how to be adults. So... That's a little bit about what today's podcast is going to be, and I'm going to try and keep it moving. Just give you an idea of uh, how to act in a recording studio. The first thing that we talk about is when you're working with an artist, if you're new in this industry, chances are you're not going to be working with Bono and the guys from U2 in your first week. You're going to have to kind of work your way up to that level. But... One thing that the team that I worked with taught me pretty early on is no matter who walks through that door, you treat them like a star. You treat them with a full degree of respect because, and you know, I'm, I'm just being honest here, you don't know. You know, you might be working with, you know, the next 13-year-old Taylor Swift, 
don't don't judge me on Taylor Swift, like her, don't like her, whatever. But uh, you build a rapport, you build a relationship with the people you work with, and you treat them with with a high degree of respect, especially to a young artist or an artist that you know is kind of new in the industry. They're not used to that. So by coming in and uh, treating them with with respect, it goes a long way. Let's talk about when you first get to a recording studio. Let's say that uh, you've never been to this studio before and you're going to be recording um, a, a demo act. You're going to be there for a couple days and you got a good tip that this is a good studio. So I want you to do a couple things that uh, might sound a bit odd at first, but I want you to hear me out. You need to reach out to that studio and talk to the studio owner, the studio manager, and say, look, you know, we're on a tight budget and I really need everything to go smoothly. Is it okay if I come by a couple days before the session and check the place out? Most uh, studio owners, studio managers love to have, I don't want to say they love to have guests, but I think they're going to appreciate what you're doing. So go to the studio be cool, you know, talk to, you know, talk to the tech, talk to uh, the assistant or whoever. Don't come in with an attitude and just say, hey, if it's okay, I just want to kind of uh, take the room for a test drive. And uh, so the way that I did it, and I'm going to date myself a lot, but that's okay. I would go in with uh, literally a, a CD and I'd put the CD into the CD player and it would be music that I've either worked on or that I know very well. And I'd start out, I would listen to the studio monitors. Studio monitors, of course, are the speakers. And studios usually have uh, the big speakers in the walls. And so you want to take them for a test drive and hear how they sound. A lot of what I would call second-rate studios usually don't have great speakers in the walls. Sometimes they're just terrible. Better to find that out a couple days before you get there than when you start trusting them to record and mix. So that's why people in this industry uh, use something called near-field monitors, which are smaller speakers, speakers that you can generally uh, carry under your arm. And a lot of engineers have their own near-field monitors. So they'll bring them with them to the session and you can even bring them when you do your your initial uh your initial studio test because it's a good idea to listen to speakers that you know and then compare them to the speakers up in the wall so you can kind of get an idea of oh wow those ones in the wall are really bass heavy or they're a lot brighter meaning there's more high frequency than uh than is probably real so that's kind of stuff you want to do before you have an artist in the room. This next one, and I'm talking more about analog studios than I am digital. And we don't have the time in a short podcast to really break all that down. But I'm going to kind of just move you through what I would expect to see and hear in primarily an analog room. What I did, and this is what Michael would pay me to do, um, I would go into a studio before, sometimes a week before Michael Jackson is going to walk in the door. Now, there's the budget to allow that to happen. But Bruce Swedeen would want me to go in 
and just go through that studio with a fine-tooth comb. Here's the thing. In almost any, oh, you know, like room for rent, studio for rent, uh, production, whatever, there's, there's no shortage of uh, exaggeration of, you know, my room is the best room, my room is perfect, uh, my room has the best choice of microphones, blah, blah, blah. And the truth is that I'm not going to say that people are liars, but you really need to go and, and uh, make those decisions on your own. So I would go in, and I mean sometimes for a week, you know, maybe more, maybe less, and I would go through every single channel, meaning I would plug the CD player into channels 7 and 8, and I would compare channels 7 and 8. Why is channel 8 louder than channel 7? Why is channels 15 and 16 out of phase with each other? And I would find things that the studio didn't even know were problems. And and it would be, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not going to say it was embarrassing for them, but I would keep them on their toes. And even you, as someone who might be going into, you know, you're kind of new in the industry, you've got to kind of check your ego at the door just a little bit. But you still need to, it's got your name on it. In fact, when I teach, there's an expression I use about fingerprints. And when you work on a project, it's got your fingerprints. And you can't go back and change those fingerprints or take those fingerprints off. It's you. What you put on, on tape or on Pro Tools or whatever, how it sounds, whether it's crackly or clean or perfect or imperfect, it's your fingerprints. So if you can spend a little bit of time beforehand and uh, iron out some of those problems, it can save you a lot of grief down the line. Is that applicable to other types of work? No, I don't know. You, uh, you can take that and, and uh, think about it. So the next thing, and this is going to sound so, I don't know, peculiar, is have a clean studio. We were pretty fortunate in that the artists that we worked with were, let's just be honest, big budget artists, big budget projects. And so we really didn't have to do too many projects in kind of second or third rate studios. You know, but there were times we were traveling, we had to kind of make something happen fast. And you might find yourself, you know, in a place that's not quite as uh, on par as, as Westlake, Westlake Studios Hollywood. One thing that I, that I teach young engineers is swallow your pride a little bit. And if the studio is dirty, clean it, wipe it down. It's kind of, you know, there's nothing funny about COVID. So if I ever make a joke along those lines, it's not, I'm not trying to be intentionally tacky or anything, but uh, one of the maybe silver linings of COVID is we've gotten much more aware of cleanliness and wiping things down. But in a recording studio, do it. We used to do things like, you know, scrubbing down the headphones. I mean, this was years ago, but headphones are kind of gross. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you don't really know who had them on their head before before your artist is going to. So we would uh, we'd clean the headphones. An artist does not want to walk into a studio and smell those spilled beer from the session the night before. So... If the studio is not going to take it on to themselves to clean the place, then you do it. 
get there. If your artist is going to, if your project's going to start on Thursday, ask the studio manager if you can come on Wednesday and get the place buffed up. You know, you, you've got to kind of use your own best judgment. But man, I'm not above vacuuming a floor. I don't want an artist walking in and looking through the glass and seeing fingerprints and uh, just grease and give the place a buff. Clean it up. So you're going to start a project with, a, with an artist that you really haven't worked with before. Singers in particular, in fact, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble in 2021, but female singers in particular can be very nervous. And there, there's something very intimate uh, about singing a vocal, you know, in a room full of, you know, strangers. So there's always a couple of rules that we would institute. One of them was get to know the artist, call them, chat with them, find out, you know, what their favorite tea is. So when they walk in the door, the room is clean and, and they're, you know, the first thing they smell is, is their favorite tea. Um, most singers like to sing with, you know, with warm liquid, whether it's tea, some of them drink coffee. I was doing a session with uh, Engelbert Humperdinck. We're going we're gonna to do some time traveling for a second. Years ago, forgive me, I don't even know if Mr. Humperdinck is still alive. You are, you, you, you go, you keep, you keep being Engelbert Humperdinck. Really talented guy, had, had an amazing voice. He called me aside. He said, Brad, I need some coffee. <laughs> I said, okay. So I made, back then, man, we'd like grind our own beans and we were really proud of our coffee. And this was in Westlake Studio D. And I made some really good coffee and he, I pour him a big mug and he takes a sip of it and he kind of makes his face. He's like, pah, pah, that's, that's terrible. That's the worst coffee, I, <laughs> worst coffee I ever had. And I'm Swedish, you know, I'm like, I, that, no, I know how to make coffee. That's not cool. And he was kind of putting out a little show for me. He brings the coffee over to the sink and he pours about half of it out. And then he re reaches into his jacket and he pulls out a flask. And I didn't ask what was in the flask, but he tops the coffee off with, with whatever was in it and takes a big sip. And he's like, ah, that's coffee. I'm like, you know what? You're, you're, you're all right, Engelbert Humpernick. I'm, uh, I'm actually kind of enjoying working with you. So the point is, get to know your artist. If they like tea, have tea for them. If they like coffee, have coffee for them. If it's like Stevie Nicks and she wants Cavassier, then doggone, get her some Cavassier. It finally gets to be the day of the session. And uh, this is the big day. This is the big show. People are spending money. You're getting paid. The studio's getting paid. So let's just go through a couple simple little life reminders and I guess this can apply to a lot of job positions outside of working in recording studios. Don't be late. Set your alarm, you know, 45 minutes earlier than you think is going to be enough. Don't be late. In L.A., that used to be almost the, it was just normal for people to be late. We weren't. You know, Bruce Swedeen, me, Matt Forger... Brad Buxer, Jerry Hay, these guys, uh, they're not late. And come hell or high water, you got to get to that session. So don't be late. 
whenever I say this in uh, in recording schools, they always kind of you know laugh a little bit. But good grief, take a shower, brush your teeth. We I always have to be really careful with these stories. Um, I won't even say what project it was on, but we were on a pretty high profile project, and one of our assistant engineers just. It, it was a very talented individual, but um, they just had the uh, the hygiene habits of, of like a goat. And the artist was just like not into it. And this person just, even though, you know, they were very intelligent, you just can't work with somebody in a small room uh, that stinks. So I always uh, I always tell my, my my students, you know, Take an extra, take an extra ten minutes. Take a good shower, brush your teeth. You know nobody wants to smell your uh, your stanky omelet breath all day. So uh, you know buff yourself up a little bit. The recording studio can be a very it's a fun place, uh, but it can also be it can turn into a party really fast. And when you're working with an artist that you know somebody's spending money whether it's mom and dad or a record company or a producer or there at the end of the day you're there to work it's got your fingerprints on it so i'm i'm pretty much a stickler about keep keep your friends outside everybody wants to be in the party everybody wants to be in a recording studio you know see this person sing bad idea singers are much more comfortable when it's just, you know, them and the engineer and maybe the producer, empty the room out. Even if it's their friends, it's, you know, there, there's kind of a fine line. You, you've got to be, uh, you've got to be respectful. But at some point, it's usually best if the guests leave the room during a vocal. Now, there are exceptions. I mean, I've, I've seen some crazy stuff where the artist wants girlfriend to be there or whatever that's that's on them that's fine but in terms of your responsibility that's absolutely not the right time you know for you to bring your girlfriend in or boyfriend in and uh, oh you know so and so is going to sing you know I want you to come and hang out ah, that's a that's a terrible idea so after the vocal is done and you know you're you've been mixing the song or whatever yeah, if the artist wants to bring, you know, their friends in and kind of liven the mood a little bit, sure. But probably not during vocals. Probably not a good time. The next one, it's kind of funny, the wording of it is, uh, uh, take your time, but don't be slow. When you, this is kind of hard to explain if you've never really spent a lot of time in recording studios, but if you're doing a big, what's called a tracking date, uh, where you've got drums set up and guitars and amplifiers and uh, keyboards and there's just mic cables everywhere and you almost sometimes I'll, I'll tell uh, students it's not the time to be klutzy and I'm six foot three I'm a pretty big guy but you really learn how to walk delicately how to kind of squeeze your body between mic stands and uh, guitars you don't want to be knocking over somebody's guitar that, that's that's a bad way to uh to uh, conduct a session so 
you've got to move. You know, there's money being spent, so nobody wants to wait eight minutes for you to walk from the back of the studio back into the control room. But at the same time, you don't want to rush. So there's kind of a, there's just kind of a professional uh, pace that's expected of you. And uh, the sooner you can kind of figure that out, the better. When you're working with a singer, one thing that, uh, that I've learned over the years is singers do not like to sing in a brightly lit room. Um, <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Woodin used to call it, you know, the 7-Eleven lighting effect. Singers want to feel intimate. They want to, uh, sometimes they want to sing just in pitch dark, and that's okay. I've worked with singers that literally want to stand in a completely dark room. And my job is to get them set up, get them comfortable, and uh, bring the lights down, and just let them sing. Along those same lines, and this is, you know, I'm going to let my old school show just a little bit, but singers like to sing, at least if, if that's why they're in this industry um, that's that should be their their premise is they are there to sing a song. Let them sing. Don't stop them after every phrase. Don't hey let's go back and fix that. Let's fix this. You know you start to tick away at their confidence a little bit. Help them out. You know carry them through. Uh, help them with pitch. Help them with with tempo. But but let them sing. One thing that we really. I guess you'd say prided ourselves with when we worked with Michael Jackson is the guy's a remarkable singer and he's got endurance like you wouldn't believe. Some of the songs that you know and love um, are comprised of sometimes 30, 40 or more takes, meaning he sang the song 20 times, 30 times, 40 times. And then we would pick and choose various phrases and words and build this composite vocal. And Michael loved to sing. For lack of a better phrase, that was his job. And so we, he would sing and sing and sing. And so we would have so many takes to work with. It would give us plenty of material if we wanted to extend it, make a dance mix out of it. He would sometimes sing two or more hours, and that's when you really start getting, you know, some great ad-libs and... Uh, and his voice will really start to blossom. So let your singer sing. Don't put, you know, tight uh, restraints on them. We really didn't do a lot of... Right now, you know, when a lot of music is made now, the artist might sing the chorus once. And then what the engineer does is they copy that one performance and then paste, paste, paste all through the song. That's boring. Let the singer sing. Let... Uh, but each phrase, and he, as the song builds, their voice should adjust. And so it, it makes it, to me, it just makes it a lot more interesting for the vocal, or for the listener, I should say. It's kind of funny, in my notes, I've got, I've got two uh, comparisons that, that, I, that I play when I'm, when I'm teaching. One of them is, is a song that Michael Jackson sang called Black or White, which I did a lot of the recording on that. And by my estimate, I don't think he sang that more than five or six times. His producer was, uh, was Bill Wittrell. Bill does not like stacking lots and lots of vocals. Bill likes to keep it much more raw and organic. And on that same album, there's a song called Jam. And on Jam, 
think we had 48 vocals, 46 or 48, something like that. It was just, it was just so many vocals. And that's Bruce Swedeen. And it's, it's two different styles. One isn't necessarily better than the other. It's just their two styles. So Bill would like to keep the vocals very simple and let Michael, let Michael direct, you know, how he wanted the song to sound. Bruce, on the other hand, was much more scientific and, uh, I mean, still remarkably musical, but Bruce liked to have just dozens and dozens of choices. And then he and Michael would spend <laughs> hours, hours and hours agonizing and, uh, and perfecting their technique, uh, perfecting that, that vocal comp. So the reason I say that, I go back to the very beginning of when we were talking about fingerprints. And you, as an engineer, shouldn't try to copy the way this engineer does it or the way that engineer does it, because those aren't your fingerprints. Those, uh, those are somebody else's fingerprints. So you can learn from them. You can glean a few things from them. But ultimately, it's going to be you that uh, is, is creating the music in that studio. One thing that uh, this is kind of a kind of a, a tricky one for young engineers. Number one, know your place. Recording sessions are very much a pecking order. There's seasoned pros that have been there a long time, and then there's uh, you, and you have not been there a long time, and so you need to, for lack of a better word, keep your mouth shut. If they want your opinion, they're gonna ask, but chances are they've got things pretty well under control. And uh, if you're really new in this industry, it's probably best that you just watch and listen and learn. I mean, have a personality, you know, talk, tell a couple jokes, but do not try to dominate the session, especially when you're, uh, when you're still kind of learning the ropes. There's a, uh, it kind of goes hand in hand with that concept it's kind of a phrase, it's a dated phrase that we used to say in L.A. quite a bit, but the phrase is, is called hangin' chops. Hangin'. H-A-N-G-I-N apostrophe, if that makes any sense. Hangin'. Hangin' chops. What does that mean? Hangin' chops means pretty simply you're going to be in a room with an artist or a band and maybe a producer, maybe, you know, a few musicians. And you might be there a long time. I mean, I've been in sessions that, that go just remarkably long, uh, projects that go long. I mean, I've been on projects that have lasted 16 months. And you need to, you know, seasoned musicians, you know, studio guys that have been around forever, they have amazing hanging chops, meaning... They're fun to be around. They're on time. They, they don't come in just grumbling for the first two hours about their, their home life, their girlfriend, boyfriend, kids, whatever. They come in, and, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be all Pollyanna, but they're generally enjoyable people to be around because they're going to be in that room with you for a long time. <laughs> And they want to do the next session tomorrow, and they have another one after that, and another one after that. And they, they kind of know the game. And, you know, musicians are just interesting people to begin with. But you need to kind of hone that skill a little bit. 
if you're just an incredibly quiet person and you just kind of sit in the corner, you're not really going to be in high demand. You need to have a bit of a personality and put yourself out there a little bit. You don't have to be a comedian, but, you know, have a, you know, have a couple jokes, uh, have, a, you know, a, a moderately interesting story. And that goes a long way on a session. You know, if you just sit and stare at your phone for the entire session, then it, you're pretty replaceable. Um, you haven't really contributed a whole lot. So not trying to be offensive, but uh, you do have to have some sort of a personality if you're going to be working, you know, with uh, with musicians on, on long-term projects. I'm going to kind of wrap it up with uh, keep it simple. Um, this is maybe as technical as I'm going to get, but it's really easy for young engineers to get completely wrapped up in the latest plugins, the latest effects, the latest uh, EQs, whatever, and all these cool designs that are on the screen. And they, they kind of, they kind of lose focus of why they're there. The listener that's going to hear the song you're working on could care less about what kind of console you used, what kind of microphone you used, what kind of effect you used. They don't see all the cool lights on the uh, on the screen that uh, the little <laughs> digital effects, you know, almost look like video games now. It's just, uh, it's, it's such a light show. And at some point you just need to close your eyes and just listen to the music. I think it was either Bruce Swedeen or Quincy Jones, you know, you know talked about uh, nobody's ever... Uh, left, uh, you know, a, a record store. I know record stores are non-existent now, but no one's ever purchased a record and, and hummed the console. Uh, nobody cares. It's all about the song. It's all about capturing that artist's song and having having something that has your fingerprints on it, something that you're proud of, and uh, something that uh, is going to, you know, make someone smile, make someone tap their foot make someone uh, appreciate what you've done, even though they may not even know what you've done. So that's it. Um, when I do this in front of a group of people, there's a lot more detail and a lot more music that I go into. But when you work on a project, whether it's a Michael Jackson project or a Celine Dion or a brand new singer um, in the... In the Midwest, that uh, nobody's ever heard of, but uh, she's got kind of a unique sound. Take it seriously. Do all you can to make that session as as cool as it possibly can, and as professional as you possibly can. So, thanks for hanging out with me. I love uh, love chatting with you guys and giving you a peek behind the curtain uh, in the studio. So, have a great week and stay safe. In the Studio, the podcast is produced by Maddie Sunberg. Theme music performed by Buddy Nuanez. Artwork by Andy Healy. Studio electronics provided by Golden Age Project. And studio acoustics provided by Acoustic Sciences Corporation. My name is Brad Sunberg. Thanks so much for hanging out with us in the studio.